I'm Matthew Smith, and you're listening to Reclamation Worship. Jason Allen, and I'm the host here at Reclamation Worship, the podcast devoted to reclaiming a biblical view of worship for the church. Thank you so much for taking the time to stop in and listen to these episodes. Uh, It is so encouraging to get your feedback. And so uh, if you have not yet had a chance to get on over to iTunes, um, please do. Please go over there and um, give me a rating and a review podcast live and die based off of your ratings and reviews. And so the more people that rate and review, the more people find out about Reclamation Worship. So please do that. Please take a minute to get on over and uh, leave some feedback. Also, I am on Twitter at Reclamation HQ. You can visit my website, reclamationworship.com, where you will be able to see the show notes for today's show with this special guest, Matthew Smith. More about him in just a minute. I'm on Instagram at Reclamation Worship and Facebook at Reclamation Worship. So please get on over to all those various platforms, like, subscribe, and do what you got to do to blow this thing up. I have been helped in ministry by the folks that I have interviewed, and and that's my hope, is that they will be able to help you and uh, help the church. So I want to help you think deeply about how we are to be faithful worshipers in all of life and uh, how we are to um, take the gospel um, from the places of worship where we gather on Sunday out to this world and um, help them to see the glory of Christ Jesus. And so, yeah, please take the time to rate, review, like, subscribe, do whatever you got to do, and uh, let's help the church uh, with the voices that you are hearing on this podcast. All right, so more about today's guest Matthew Smith hails from the great state of Tennessee, where he lives in Nashville with his family. Matthew's also one of the founding members of Indelible Grace. Matthew takes centuries-old hymn texts and pairs those with brand new music that he has written. And so Matthew is literally all about reclamation worship. He is literally reclaiming worship through song. And so um, he's taking these theologically rich old hymns and pairing them with contemporary music that he has written. And so um, you will definitely want to check out his music and the music of Indelible Grace if you've not already done so. All of his information will be in the show notes at reclamationworship.com. And uh, he also gives that information to us at the very end. So I would encourage you to uh, buy his music and check it out. And also have Indelible Grace come to your church. And uh, there's information at the end of this episode on how you can do that. And so let's get on over to the interview. I'm so thankful that we're doing this talk after I got to sit in on your teaching, on your seminar. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, if you don't mind, maybe uh, just start off by sharing your testimony with us. And uh, and then we'll get into uh, some of your thoughts on emotionally honest worship? Sure. Uh, well, I grew up in a Christian home. Um, my 
uh, dad was a pastor. Um, we later became, uh, they, my parents became missionaries to Chile. So I grew up in, in Chile uh, for a lot of my formative um, years. And I always really liked music. Um, but, you know, I, I didn't play an instrument. My, I took some piano lessons when I was a kid. But I just couldn't really take to it. But I loved to sing. And so when I was 16, I decided to learn how to play guitar so that I could accompany myself as I sang. And uh, so my buddy John um, sold me a used uh, Fender acoustic guitar for a hundred bucks and taught me a few chords. Uh, I immediately, almost immediately started writing my own songs um, just because I couldn't play other people's songs well because I didn't know that many chords and okay. I wasn't any good at all. So it was <laughs> to, to write my own songs. And, um, and Soon after that, probably too soon after that, I started to lead the music uh, on Wednesday nights for my youth group, uh, which I, I love doing. I really um, love the idea of leading people in worship. But as time went on, I, I began to feel more and more like a failure as a worshiper. And what I mean by that is that I really had this idea, um, and it, you know, it's not in the Bible, so I don't, I'm not quite sure where I got it from. But I had this idea that if somehow I were sold out enough for God or on fire enough for God or kind of worshiping hard enough, that the world around me would start to fade away. Mm. And, um, and I would have this worship experience. And that never really happened. And I felt like I wasn't doing enough. Um, and so I felt like a, like a failure as a worshiper. Okay. Um, fast forward a couple of years, I went off to college. I went to Belmont University in Nashville. And stumbled into a Bible study called RUF, Reformed University Fellowship, and they were singing hymns. Now, I had not grown up singing that many hymns. Uh, the church I, I did a lot of growing up in uh, sang a lot of um, praise songs, early 20th century gospel songs, uh, which sometimes people confuse with hymns, but they're actually a different category. Okay. Uh, and, you know, some Gaither stuff. Um, and we did a few hymns. We did Holy, Holy, Holy and Amazing Grace, you know, the, the hits, but not that many old hymns. So this was new for me. And they were uh, being led from acoustic guitar by a guy up front, some of them with traditional melodies, others with brand new melodies to these old hymn lyrics. Um, and I was immediately captivated by, by these hymns. Uh, uh, I was getting more into songwriting at that point and, and trying to learn more about it. And uh, I just recognize them as just really beautifully written songs. Um, and, but also just the ways that they talked about who God is and, and what the Christian life uh, is and what it feels like were, were pretty different from the songs that I was choosing in high school. Uh, and so it was a really amazing time for me of, of growth. And as that semester went along, I also got a lot of great Bible teaching there um, at RUF. Uh, I started to realize that I was beginning to worship God in some ways for the first time. And it didn't look anything like I thought it would. Um, the world around me did not fade away. And in fact, I would say the world around me came into sharper focus as I began to see how the life and death and resurrection of Jesus applies to all of life. Um, and it was just a really transformative uh, period for me in my view of, of worship and my view of God and grace and, and so many things. So how do you uh, pivot from that to uh, what you began doing with Indelible Grace? Yeah. So um, the guy who was leading the music there, uh, his name is Kevin Twitt. Um, he um, is this just really 
unique, amazing guy who went both to uh, Berkeley College of Music in Boston and Covenant Theological Seminary in St. Louis. So he's a, uh, um, you know, great guitar player and songwriter, um, but also, you know, kind of a, a book nerd and, and a great theologian and pastor kind of guy. And he had actually written melodies for a lot of these hymns. Um, I don't know if the first one he did was Arise My Soul Arise or not, but, um, but I don't know if he wrote that for a conference that he was, he was at. Um, and he had, you know, written more, basically these hymns to go along with the sermons that he was preaching because he would, he would have these old hymnals and do that. So he encouraged us to do that as well. Um, obviously it was Nashville. So it's, uh, there was a lot of, you know, songwriter type people in our group. Um, and he passed out one, um, he was teaching Sunday school at that time at Christ community church as well. And one Sunday morning he passed out, um, just photocopied, uh, lyrics for a hymn by Joseph Hart called come centers. And, um, I sat down, I think it was that night. I know it was a Sunday night. So I think I sat down that night and wrote a melody to it. And, uh, and I, I was really happy with it and I played it for him. And around that time, um, Kevin had decided to put together an album of these hymns. He's not a singer. So he got those of us who enjoyed singing to, um, to be a part of that and sing these hymns that he had written. And, and, um, and I, I wrote coming centers, uh, Brian Moss wrote the church has one foundation. Um, and uh, it was, you know, so we just put together this little album and we released it independently. Um, this was the year 2000. So um, it was before iTunes and uh, we certainly didn't have distribution to stores or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just put up a website and people would order there. And um, the response was much bigger than we expected. And uh, we were pretty taken aback by that. But it wasn't just... Uh, you know, these weird Nashville kids uh, <laughs> enjoying these hymns. And because right. um, we had the context of Kevin and his preaching and everything, right? So mm. you never know how things are going to come across. Right. But, um, we, you know, people started ordering way more and, uh, and, and even, you know, places around the country and around the world. Um, so we were encouraged by that. Um, and so the second, the next year we put out a second album. Um, the first one was called Indelible Grace. So we took that name on. It's kind of the name for our collective. And okay. so we put out a second album. And after that, I decided I should put together a, a band and, and kind of represent our community on mm-hmm. the road. So I've, I've always been kind of the lead singer of the touring band um, and uh, been doing that for a while now, what, 14, maybe 15 years. Okay. Um, and, uh, and, and then, you know, in 2004, I put out my first um, solo project and I've put out uh, a bunch since then as well. So I'm still part of Indelible Grace. We do an album every every few years. And, uh, and then I also do my own albums, which are also, you know, old hymns with new melodies. And I also include some some old hymns with traditional melodies on, on some of my albums. So I was going to ask you, do you, do you get uh, any pushback every now and then from folks who they, they feel like there's only one way to do the hymn, the old try and true way. Yeah. I mean, a little bit over the years, less than you would think, uh, not to our face as much, you know, we don't get, I can't remember the last time we've gotten an, an email from somebody uh, challenging that. What's, what's interesting now is that it, it's, it's a category within itself. So when we first started doing this in 2000, um, there were a few other like RUFs and different people doing things like this. I know Auburn put out a, 
a hen CD like the year before we put out ours, mm-hmm. um, I believe. But overall, in the in the American Christian music culture, it was an unknown thing. Where now it's it's really an established thing. So like Jars of Clay years ago uh, recorded a hymns album. Uh, where they wrote new tunes to a few, and then they recorded a handful of Indelible Grace hymns on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and even people who don't know the, the name Indelible Grace most days know the concept of, of writing a new tune to an old hymn lyric. I, I, um, I remember listening to a Christian podcast, gosh, it must have been five years ago, and uh, they had a, the musical guest on there also did this, and I'd never heard of them before. Mm-hmm. But the way they introduced the, the artist assumed that the listener was familiar with the idea of writing new music to old hymns. And that blew me away hmm. <laughs> that, that we've come that far. Even if people don't know the indelible grace name, Kevin's yeah. work has really um, introduced that. So, I mean, with, with pushback like that, sometimes I'll, uh, people don't understand the history of hymns. So old, old hymns, if, if you have a really old hymnal, it only has, um, it only has words in it. Musical mm-hmm. notation is a, a fairly recent development. Mm-hmm. And so these hymn writers like Charles Wesley wrote, you know, people say over 800 hymn texts. And um, I don't, to my knowledge, he didn't write any tunes mm-hmm. like most of, you know, mostly these hymn writers didn't write tunes. So um, I, I believe that like Amazing Grace that John Newton wrote that he never heard the tune that we sing. Okay. That. So it seems like you couldn't sing Amazing Grace to another tune. That would be, you know, sacrilege. <laughs> and I would, I would rather sing Amazing Grace to the tune we all know it by. Um, but it, it, there's nothing, there's no authorial intent there. Uh, yeah. And also sometimes people get confused with the hymnal being right beside the Bible and a lot of churches uh, in the pews. And, but they're not the same thing. Right, right. <laughs> the, Bible, <laughs> the Bible is in there and, and uh, shouldn't be changed. But, uh, but the hymnal has always had a, you know, I mean, there's a metrical index in the back of every hymnal to, so you can make some match tunes. So it's always been a part of the tradition. But once musical notation came along, that's really um, fallen out of favor because people just see the see the see the notes and see the words and think that those uh, all go together. Whereas a lot of times, it's just the hymnal editor decided to match those because he or she felt like that was the right fit. Okay, so uh, and I noticed that you do this even within your own uh, body of work. So. When you mm-hmm. performed um, "I Need Thee Every Hour" uh, a few weeks ago yeah. at our church, um, it, right. it, it sounded um, pretty traditional to begin with. But then you had mm-hmm. the bridge yep. that was uh, phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. I, I've heard a live recording of that song done by Indelible Grace, and it had a different tune arrangement to it. And so, different tune, yeah, right, 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 yeah. Uh, on the first Indelible Grace CD, I believe. Uh, Kevin had a tune to I Need the Every Hour, which I, I absolutely love. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I even ran it past him when I was going to record the traditional tune. I was like, hey, you know that this doesn't mean I don't love your <laughs> tune, right? And he's like, oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> he's, he's, a pretty, he's, he's a pretty hard guy to, uh, to offend mm-hmm. in any case. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so, I mean, I, I think both tunes are great. And um, and that's the thing. You don't have to choose. You don't have to take sides and, and a church, you know, should only use one tune. But, uh, yeah. uh, but like, you know, like people have this false binary in their minds when I've, I've even encouraged some churches, if, if there's a hymn that goes particularly well with the theme of a service or, or a sermon, you know, open the service with 
um, with one tune and close it with another tune and sing the same lyrics because mm. each tune will bring out a different nuance in the lyrics. Uh, the reason why I did um, I Need the Every Hour, um, I don't remember exactly. Uh, it was, it's been several years. I, I, that album just came out last year, but I actually recorded that track a few years previous. But um, mm. I just had, had this idea for that bridge. And it's, it's incredibly rare for me to write new lyrics. Mm. Um, I've only done it just a, a very few handful of times. Um, but I, I just had this idea and I felt like it really extended a lot of the themes, um, that are in, I need the every hour. And, uh, and so I added that at the end and, and I'm happy with, with how it turned out. Um, mm. but, uh, it always makes me a little bit nervous cause it, it's, it's hard to write good words and it always makes me nervous to put them up against words that I know are great, <laughs> but, well, um, and yeah. to encourage you, it, that bridge helped me to hear that song again for the first time because mm, yeah. I think I think we tend to um, sing songs and they become yeah. rote and we don't think about what we're singing right. and um, yeah. and that that bridge made the chorus come alive and uh, and it, it helped yeah. me to understand what I was actually saying um, good yeah well I mean and even um, I mean and we did some some chordal changes we threw in you know a minor chord and, and different things. Um, that, that hymn to me is so desperate. Mm. Um, and, and it's such a sweet melody that I wanted to, even the traditional tune, I wanted to color it a few shades darker. Mm -hmm. Um, when I recorded that, because I mean, you look at the, you know, again, wrote, you don't think about the lyrics if you've sung them all your life, but mm -hmm. there's one of the lyrics says, um, I need the every hour. Um, enjoy or pain come quickly and abide or life is vain. Mm. And I kind of draw that back out in the bridge where I say, um, Lord, I need you here this hour. Cause I don't want to live like this. Um, you know, just even the idea of somebody asking whether life is worth living. Mm. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, or, or life is vain. That can go by pretty fast. Um, mm. and, I just think that there's a lot of people in our congregations who maybe have those thoughts, uh, yeah. whether they're, they're serious thoughts that need to be addressed or just kind of passing thoughts of despair um, yeah. or seasons of despair. So just being able to cry out to God uh, in that way, I think is important. So I, I wanted to even in that bridge highlight with my new lyrics, the lyrics that, that were already existing yeah. in, in that hymn, rather than doing one of these like completely disconnected, let me just add new lyrics, just add new lyrics. Yeah, to extend the, the thought of the original hymn writer. In, in the seminar, uh, someone asked a question uh, at the seminar you did at our church. Someone asked a question yeah. about uh, your thoughts about contemporary music. And I, I loved uh -huh. uh, you. You were so gracious in your answer. Uh, but you basically said, I don't really know what's out there today because I don't have to. And um, right. I loved yeah. that because <laughs> there, there is this sense that people think like to be a Christian means that you must listen, listen to contemporary Christian music. Um, yeah. And, uh, and so really it's my concern that so much of what's played on the radio today is more harmful than helpful. Um, right. So could you talk just a little bit about the fact that um, it is possible for someone uh, to be a, a professing believer and not listen to contemporary Christian music. What does that look like? Sure. Yeah. It's amazing to me um, how I, mean, I grew up in the Christian subculture um, 
particularly in junior high and high school. I was a huge Christian music fan, um, subscribed to CCM magazine and read every word of every issue. Um, and, and, and that was a good, that was a good magazine. And there was a lot of great music. Uh, you know, I graduated high school in 97. And I mean, so you think of my high school years, DC talks, Jesus freak, jars of clay's first album, newsboys, take me to your leader, like albums that I still think are great. Yeah, like that yeah. I still listen to fairly regularly. Right. Right. Um, it was kind of a, I think it's the golden age of Christian music. I've been fighting on that, but that's But as I've gotten older, I become, I've become less, I, I, I don't see myself in the Christian subculture. I see myself in the church. Yeah. I'm a part yeah. of a church. Um, and, you know, active in that. I'm not one of these people that's like being a Christian just means you can go on a walk on Sundays and that that's your church. I, I don't believe that at all. Right. But the Christian subculture where you have to watch the Christian movies and listen to Christian radio and all this kind of stuff. Um, I, I just don't so often. Um, and again, I haven't caught up in a long time, so there's probably some, some better stuff out there now. Um, I just don't see my own Christian life experience reflected in American Christian subculture mm-hmm. and what they have to say and the solutions that they offer. I just don't see it. So we've even, um, my wife and I have, two, uh, my wife and I have two boys. Uh, they're nine and 12 years old and they are, they're unaware that Christian subculture exists. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. So, and they go to church, you know, every Sunday and, uh, and we uh, do catechism with them and we uh, read the Bible Um uh, all this stuff with them. It's very active. We have conversations about the Lord very, very frequently. Um, so we're a Christian family, but um, this was so great. My, uh, this is probably my proudest moment as a father. Uh, a, a couple months ago, my 12 uh, year old, I think he was 11. Then uh, I, I said something about my music and what I do. And he said, well, you do Christian music. <laughs> and I said, okay. Um, I said, so is U2. So U2 is my favorite band and the boys love U2 as well. And, um, and I said, so is U2 Christian music? Cause he knows that they're believers. Mm-hmm. And he said, um, I guess they would be like Christian rock. If that was a thing. <laughs> like, if that was a thing. He, does, he, wow. he doesn't know that Christian rock is a thing. Wow. And, uh, and I love that cause I don't mm-hmm. want him to, I want my boys to develop a discernment that crosses everything. Yeah. So there's certain music, not that my, my boys are begging to listen to inappropriate music at all, but we monitor what they listen sure. to sure. and the messages that are in them. Um, but we would also do that if they were listening to Christian music, Yeah, you know, and I feel like lies. Um, I think if you're thinking about the world and you're discerning, you're teaching discernment to your children about here is a song from somebody who's not a believer. Um, <laughs> there's some things you should be aware of, of how they, how they view human relationships and, right. you know, other things. Right. Um, but if it's a song from a believer, I feel like it can be confusing mm-hmm. the messages that they're being sent. Yeah. Um, so I won't say that we're more discerning uh, about Christian music, but I, I'm, I'm certainly more wary of anything like that. Um, but I, I try to teach uh, and apply discernment across everything. Yeah, it seems like there's this uh, false belief or dangerous belief uh, that we can just turn our brains off when it comes to listening to music that passes right. for Christian music. 
Uh, right. and then we, we don't have to worry about trusting or we, we can trust it by nature and we don't have to worry about being discerning when listening to it. So I, yeah, right. I think there's that false belief out there. Yeah. Incidentally, what is your favorite U2 album? Um, so, uh, t- two answers to this. The best U2 album is Octane Baby. Okay. My favorite U2 album is Pop, which okay. I know is a very dark horse candidate, but it was my first U2 album, came out my senior year in high school. And I know that album better than I know anything else. And okay. it took me 15 years, I think, to finally say, I've stopped hearing new things in the album. Okay. Wow. I'm wow. listening to that repeatedly. Like, this just got so much. Um, but yeah, they're, they're incredible. And I love, I love the last two records, the most recent two records, too. Real quick, one more question about um, your music, and then I want to talk about uh, the Emotionally Honest Worship. I'm left to believe that you could have much commercial success if you wanted it. Um, but um, <laughs> Tell me how. <laughs> but, Please, share your secrets. But no, it, it just seems like you've got the chops, like you, you've, you've got everything it would take to do it. But I'm guessing because of principle um, and convictions, you've not wanted to cross over uh, and lose control of, of what you're doing. And so could you speak to that just yeah. a little bit? Like, um, and, and how have you stayed true to your convictions when the pull, I guess the tug probably is to desire success and, and notoriety, whatever success looks like. Yeah. I mean, I, I desire success. Like I desire it. I desire more people to listen to my music and, and to make my job easier to yeah. book concerts because I book my own concerts. Like okay. I desire it every day. Um, but yeah, principle and conviction get me in, into trouble quite often. Um, <laughs> so that, that they're the, they're the thing that, you know, I, you know, I don't know. Um, I love saying that I love every record that I've ever made. Mm-hmm. Um, not that they're without flaws or there's things that wouldn't change, but there's, they're ultimately, they were the vision of, of, uh, the people I was working with that I chose, uh, and, um, I, I wish more people would listen to them. <laughs> um, I actually, well, hopefully this will, this did, podcast will help that. Did I tell, did I tell that story at your seminar about when I took a single to radio? I don't think so. Okay. So, um, I took, I, there was, uh, I came out with an album, um, in 2010 called watch the rising day. And I, there was a song on there that, um, I co-wrote um, with a great songwriter here in town, Jeff Pardo. He's, he's had um, a few hits and with Christian artists and he had a song on Lady Annabellum's record a couple, couple records ago. He's just okay. a fantastic pop songwriter. And so we wrote this. I was really proud of it. Um, hired a Christian radio promoter and he got it played on some like non-reporting stations. Okay. Um, but he, he put together a little spreadsheet of the, <laughs> the stations he had contacted and, uh, and kind of what their comments were if they'd gotten back to him. And one of the guys that didn't want to play it, did I, tell you, did I, tell, did I, tell I think you did, but I'm glad you're saying this okay. again. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Don't, don't spoil it. So, um, <laughs> so what, the comment was, um, that the song was really dark. Okay. Now the name of the song was you are the light. <laughs> right. Yeah. So when at that point, I just kind of throw in the towel on people, uh, sure. Getting what I do, but the people who get what I do really get it. And yeah. I don't know how to, I only want to do this one thing. And ultimately, like as far as success goes, I'm able to pay my bills. 
Um, that's never been a worry. I'm, I'm a very frugal person as well. So that, that doesn't hurt, uh, when you're a musician. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm just happy that I get to do the music I do, that it impacts other people. Yeah. Um, and, and I do, I do wish more people would listen to it. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so it, I'm not going to, yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to give any false humility there. The, there's no doubt that you are impacting people and, uh, and you are experiencing success. I guess what I mean is it's, it seems yeah. it comes across to me is that you're uncompromising um, right. and, uh, and you're not going to uh, give up those convictions just so everybody in the world can know your name. Right. Well, they would forget it as soon as they learned it because it's so generic, <laughs> but, um, but you know, and I get called Matthew West and Michael W. Smith all the time. So uh, I do, I do, uh, but yeah. Well, well, thank you for what you're doing. And again, yeah, hopefully uh, this podcast will lead to uh, spikes in uh, in record sales. Let's let's uh, transition and talk about emotionally honest worship. When I talk about emotionally honest worship, that that's kind of a phrase that I came up with in order to hopefully convey. Um, there's a lot of misunderstanding about the role of emotion on one side of things with worship and truth or theology on another side of things. Okay. Um, some churches lean more towards we need to be emotional, but that means kind of getting people worked up um, mm-hmm. emotionally. Okay. Um, so it could veer easily into emotionalism or emotional mani- manipulation. Even mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. other churches are really strong on good theology. Um, okay. And, and I am, to. Um, however, the, the feeling I get from some churches is that they think that people just need to know the right data yeah, and then they'll be faithful Christians. Okay. And that's not right either. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have, you know, I was reading the gospel of Mark to uh, my nine-year-old this week and, you know, Jesus gets in trouble a lot with uh, De- demoniacs who the demons know who he is, mm-hmm. know exactly who he is and they keep calling him out and he's like, be quiet, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, so the demons even, even know the right, uh, mm-hmm. right theology and they know who Jesus is and that he's the son of God, um, mm-hmm. to, to, to cite a very extreme example, uh, with emotionally honest worship, what I'm trying to say is that, um, with these hymns uh, and other songs can do this too, but with these hymns, um, you are engaging with truth, with theology. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's no, uh, honesty without engagement with truth. Mm. Um, but you're, you're bringing your whole self to it, which in our culture, tend, we tend to think of, of the emotions as that, as, um, uh, as, as the center of that in, in our culture and, and place and time. So yeah. I kind of um, talk about it that way because we, we can't simply just recite the right theology back to God to please him and not know him mm-hmm. and not seek to be known by him. And we can't simply go into worship to have a worship experience where we get, where we feel all the feelings and then we walk out and we're left unchanged. Okay. Whereas when God opens our hearts to himself and we get to talk about who we really are as, um, as sinners, as, um, as people who still have fear and doubt and a lot of other things that we feel pretty uncomfortable about as Christians, sometimes admitting that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we actually encounter him in that way, then we can be changed in the moment that we're not just taking data to learn how to be a better Christian. Mm. We actually meet him in the moment and are changed. 
understand uh, and are honest with them. And I think I made the point in your seminar that there's no human relationship that you have that's not based on honesty. Like Mm -hmm. any, there's no long-term friendship or uh, love relationship that's not based on honesty. And and as evangelicals, uh, we often talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus, which is why I find it so odd that so many emotions are considered taboo to either feel or to express for Christians. Because mm. if we're going to be honest with God, we need to, to, to actually tell him what we're really feeling and going through. And okay. I think the psalmist does that really well in the Psalms mm. and these hymns um, kind of followed that pattern in many ways as well, um, where there's a, a huge spectrum of emotions for people to, um, to engage and express and even try on to see if they can admit to being, um, <laughs> to feeling that way mm-hmm. and then see what God has to say about it. Okay. So you, you do make this, uh, uh, point in in talking about this mm-hmm. to pair the head and the heart and um, mm-hmm. and I appreciate how you do make that distinction between the mm-hmm. the two extremes the churches who tend toward that worship experience um, right and, and one of the dangers there is as you point out that oftentimes that can lead to a, a focus more on the worshiper rather than on God as the object of our worship right. um, and so you also mentioned that uh, that there's this lack of full range of emotions that are expressed, uh, I guess, because we want to be more upbeat and happy. And, and so we, we tend right. to not think about songs of lament and um, yeah. songs that would I- encapsulate the entirety of the Christian life. So Marva Dawn, who's written a lot about worship and, and other matters, she was talking to a pastor many years ago um, and said, um, how many people in your church have gone through a major negative life event in the past year? For example, um, uh, a, a death in the family, loss of a job, divorce, you know, mm-hmm. this kind of short list of, of, of really stressful things. Mm-hmm. And, and the pastor thought about it for a minute. And then he said, um, I can think of one family who hasn't been mm-hmm. affected by one of those things in the last year. Mm-hmm. And Marva Dawn's next question was, what songs are you singing? Right. So there's a disconnect. I'm not saying we need to eliminate all quote unquote happy songs or that we certainly not saying that we need to sing mopey songs, Mm -hmm. but we need to sing emotionally honest songs that actually express what the people are going through. Another thing that I think about a lot is uh, September 11th, 2001. Mm -hmm. It was a Tuesday morning. uh, For those of us old enough to remember that. and so churches had plenty of time to plan their worship services for the following Sunday and choose what songs they were going to do that would be appropriate. Um, and the little, little test that I give churches to discern whether they're connecting sort of pastorally through the songs that they're singing with the people who will be singing them mm-hmm. is this. If a major uh, um, tragedy, either a personal tragedy within the church or a national tragedy like September 11th, happened on late Saturday night, early Sunday morning, and you had no time to choose the songs, um, to, to, you know, change the songs, Mm -hmm. would the songs that you chose feel ridiculously inappropriate? Mm. Uh, and if they do, you're singing the song, the wrong songs to begin with. Mm -hmm. Um, because there's somebody going through a personal tragedy in that church, uh, in, in any 
any given church, there's somebody in the pew that's having their own dark night of the soul. Mm. And we need to be able to sing songs that we can all sing with each other and to each other um, to encourage us wherever we are. So again, that doesn't mean mopey. That doesn't mean super happy. Uh, It just means honest. Right. Uh, And the example that I give all the time is Jesus, what a friend for sinners you know, even when my heart is breaking, you know, friends may fail me, foes assail me. He, my savior makes me whole. The verses, three of the four verses acknowledge a lot of really heavy stuff. And mm-hmm. the chorus is hallelujah. What a savior. Hallelujah. What a friend saving, helping, keeping, loving. He is with me to the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, my first uh, record is called even, even when my heart is breaking mm-hmm. from a line of that. Um, and that is, a hymn that's an example of an emotionally honest hymn that you you can sing whether you're having the best you know you just got a promotion uh and you got engaged and uh you know uh, whatever happened that week that you're just over the moon or if you know your spouse told you the night before that they're leaving you Mm -hmm. each of those people can sing that song honestly yeah um so again it's not about mopey it's not about you shouldn't be mopey and you shouldn't be falsely happy. Mm. Like it's a lie to think that if you become a Christian, all your problems will be solved. Right. 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 Um, Ask Jesus's disciples, Mm. uh, you know, they ended up with way, way more problems than if they just stuck to fishing. Right. Right. (laughs) You might get a, you might get a hook caught in your hand, you know, Right. Or have a, a bad season if you're a fisherman, but you're not going to be, uh, you know, persecuted and murdered. Mm. Um, so yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Paul, uh, in acts talks, uh, in, in talking to the disciples, um, says, uh, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And, uh, and so, yeah, it, it's, we should expect difficulty and much of the new Testament yeah. is devoted to, um, trying to uh, convince us that uh, pain is in our future um, in this life. Right. Um, so yeah. for the pastor and, out and there, we, oh, we, we misread. Yeah. We misread scripture so much through our cultural lens. Mm-hmm. Every culture does it, not just Americans. Yeah. But um, because uh, there's a, there's a great book called um, always get the title wrong. It's something like misreading scripture through Western eyes. Mm-hmm. Um and one of the examples that it gives is the story of the two sons, also known as the prodigal son mm-hmm. parable, mm-hmm. Um, where they asked different people in different cultures to read that and then to give them the highlights mm. of what was in there. And every culture, every impoverished culture um, financially um, n- remembered that there was a famine in the land. Mm. And that's why the, that they, they thought that was a very important part of the story. Okay. That they thought that was an important plot point yeah. and almost no Americans who were asked to recount that back noted famine. Wow. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Okay. And, and so we even look at, at promises of, of pain and tribulation and things like that in the Bible and we filter it out culturally. Yep. We, it just, just passes through us. Very true. Um, yeah. Anyway, and we're, you were saying we're shocked and surprised when difficulty does come our way. Right. Especially if, if our churches attract people by simply providing a, a you know, a, just a good place for families Yeah, where you can teach your family values and it, which is a lot of ways that churches will attract um, people in their community. Right. And 
but it's it's kind of like what's the picture of the good life that's being presented here what's yeah. what's being sold here and that's i mean that's one of the reasons why i feel so disconnected from from the christian subculture so mm. many times so if you could help the pastor out there who may be listening to this and and thinking mm-hmm. um yeah, but I really have to, this guy feels the tug to entertain yeah. the people on Sunday morning. Right. You know, if he's going to keep an audience, uh, he's got to get them mm-hmm. revved up through the singing at the beginning. Um, if, if you could speak to that guy and encourage him yeah. uh, to, to not be so um, taken with trying to entertain his folks, what would you say? Yeah. Um. There's not an easy answer is the first thing I would say. Um, I've heard it said that what you attract people with, you have to keep people with. Yeah. So a lot of churches will think that they can attract people with sort of fluffy stuff mm-hmm. and then keep them with discipleship. Mm-hmm. And that's not true. Mm. Right. Yeah. Um, that's a, that's what's called in the marketing world, a bait and switch. Right. Right. <laughs> um, and so I think you have to, that, that pastor would have to ask himself, um, what is my calling? Mm-hmm. I would argue that his calling is to go make disciples of all nations mm-hmm. and that he has a corner of the nations in his, uh, in his community that he's called to make disciples of. And, and you can't do that. Um, <laughs> you know, what is what does Jesus want you to do? He wants you to feed his sheep. Mm-hmm. He didn't say entertain my sheep, mm. attract my sheep. Right. Um, uh, I, I, I even think the Bible argues that the Holy Spirit is who attracts the sheep, mm-hmm. um, and that we're called to feed the sheep. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it might be a long road, mm-hmm. and I would take it slow and take wise counsel, and not be a rebel pastor who thinks that you know maybe he's the only one who knows the way it should be and, you know, throwing a bunch of things away. A lot of, a lot of pastors who will come into a church, a new calling uh, to an existing church thing that they end up being like a bull in the China shop instead of actually meeting and loving and caring for people personally first, and then implementing changes. Um, I mean, the kingdom is a very bottom up work, not a top down mm-hmm. work. Uh, it's, it's a very personal kind of thing. Anything else, Matthew, that, that you might uh, share with us? Well, I mean, if people want to read a few more of my thoughts about this, I've got a website called honestworship.com, which I did not have to like bid anybody for that URL. It was wow. just available. Okay. Which should just okay. tell you, which, and, and you know, like <laughs> you two had it years for a ago. While. So like, no, just two years ago, like wow. it, 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 you know, you would think any t- combination of two words would already be taken, but that yeah. one. It wasn't, which I was shocked by and then dismayed by okay. and then happy by. Yeah. Um, so honestworship.com is where people can download um, this little uh, PDF I wrote called Emotionally Honest Worship. It covers some of the stuff, goes into a little bit more in depth. Okay. And then that triggers uh, some emails where people can get some videos of me talking and uh, about some of these topics and some other resources. Um, and I ask people if they, if they like that and they get excited about it, instead of just sending it to their worship teams, emailing them the PDF, actually have them sign up on honestworship.com so they can get the follow-up videos and all that good stuff. And you can even begin to have a discussion as, um, as a team there where you can kind of get on the same page. And of course, you know, I'm available to do what I did for for your church, uh, coming in and playing and, uh, and giving seminars. And I'm always happy to do 
that sort of thing. Great. I'll link to your site on uh, on uh, my site. And uh, is there a way from your site for the folks to get in touch with you? You have contact form yeah. and all that. Um, okay. Yeah, I do. Yeah, you just yeah click on contact in the upper right corner from matthewsmith.us. See that that was you know all the dot coms and dot nets and dot orgs were taken from Matthew Smith. So I got okay. United States dot okay. US. <laughs> uh, you know, and then of course, uh, of course, my my new album is quiethymns.com. Um, you can go on there. There's a, there's a couple of music videos on there. And, um, and then I've got a new single called let me find me that's on Spotify and Apple music. Okay. That, um, and all those services that people can add to their playlist. And that's, right. that's one of the best ways to support people these days beyond just, you know, buy the music would be ideal, but then also share the music through, uh, Spotify and all those services. That's very helpful. Okay. So, um, I want people to, who are listening to this to buy every single one of your albums, but if you had, <laughs> yeah. if you had to tell them, all right, this is the one that I want you to buy, right? They're on a budget. They can only buy oh. one right now. Which one would you? Buy? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't know. I mean, obviously my newest one. Um, uh, yeah. Obviously, my, my newest one has God Himself, which I'm really happy with that one. It has okay. Let Me Find Thee, which might be my favorite that I've ever done. And it mm. also has that I Need Thee Every Hour that you were referring to yeah. um, earlier. And um, it's got, it's, it's, it's a little unusual for me because it's half traditional melodies and half new melodies. Okay. So it's hard for it to be my favorite album because my favorite ones have more of the ones I've written just because I'm happy about that. Right. But, um, but I think, I think it's as good a place to start as any, uh, as quiet hymns. It's, it's a little quieter. It's a little softer than, um, than my other albums, but not too much. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's actually, uh, um, that quiet is from the book of Isaiah where the Lord says, and repentance and rest is your salvation and quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. And so it's an album of me kind of wrestling with the ways I would have none of um, that quiet and that rest. So I hope it's a it's an album that can sort of um, comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable yeah. in that way. Um, and that, you know, people will find something real there to, to resonate with. Great, great. Matthew, thank you so much for your time. I greatly appreciate you and what yeah. you're doing. And uh, may your tribe increase. And uh, man, I really, I, I really uh, look forward to hearing you again soon. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You bet. All right, man. Take care. Well, I'd like to thank Matthew Smith for joining us on Reclamation Worship. And I want to encourage you to get on over to reclamationworship.com where you can find all of Matthew Smith's contact information where you can go ahead and get him booked in 2019 to bring indelible grace to your church. So um, please check out reclamationworship.com where you can find all of Matthew Smith's contact information as well as links to his music. And so check out his solo work and check out the work of indelible grace. And so until next time, Soli Deo Gloria. Thank you.